0: Welcome to our second episode of Association Nation. Thank you to all the listeners that joined us during our first episode in Spanish where we talk about the insurance on the association. During the second episode, we are going to be talking about budgets and finances of the associations. And today, I'm honored to be joined by our Director of Operations, Oscar Boris, and by Luis Lavandera, CPA. Thank you both for being here.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you.
0: We decided to do this second episode on on budgets because we're about to start budgeting season, where most of the associations are going to prepare the budget for 2020. And this can be a difficult task if you don't have the tools or necessary support to do this process. We asked our followers in social media at Renovations PM, what questions they had on budgets. And one of the most common, and with the one that I want to start this conversation, was who is in charge of creating and approving the budget of the association?
1: So I think that that, that is a great question because most often, at least from, from my experience at budget meetings, there's typically a general misconception on who's responsible for approving, well, first and foremost, preparing the budget and then uh, ultimately approving it. Uh, the short answer to that question is the board, the board of directors. So. As we all know, um, those of us that work in this industry or live in in associations, uh, every year uh, there is a democratic process as to where a board is elected. Those individuals at that moment when they are elected, they are given the responsibility to uphold the documents of the association. Uh, And within those documents, there's typically language that states that a budget should be uh, prepared and presented to the ownership on an annual basis. Uh, obviously there's there's more technical there's more of a technical process that's involved with that uh, and I'm sure that Lewis will be able to get into that a little bit later in the podcast but uh, yeah uh, it's the board of directors that's the the short and long answer I guess to my to the question uh,
0: within the same idea uh, when they're doing the process is a budget committed needed
1: so uh, From the management side, I always recommend, you know, if you've got volunteers that are willing to participate in the process, absolutely. I think that uh, the board, because it's a position that doesn't, you know, it's not a paid position, it's a volunteer position. Uh, I always recommend to our clients, at least, that if you have people that are wanting to participate, it's great because it gives you more perspective. It allows you to look at the budget from different points of views, not only from the board as the partial operator to the association, but also from the people that are being impacted by that budget. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Committees are always recommended.
2: We as CPA, we always recommend committees. Um, it adds um, transparency. You know, the more individuals you have within the association uh, involved in the process, the better it's going to be. At the time, you know, the board needs to explain why the assessments. So we fully recommend a finance committee, budget committees, and so on and so forth.
0: So getting getting into more about the mathematics behind the budget, how, is, how does the board or the management or the CPA involved uh, calculate the assessment for doing the budget process?
2: Or So as part of the, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of talk on uh, what comes first. And we always say, uh, even prior to um, getting to the budgeting, the board should meet with the management company and the manager and go through the financials and get an understanding of you know, the financial position of the association so that any adjustments to the budgets are discussed prior to working on the actual figures for the subsequent year. Um, once that is done, then the management team will go through the contracts, you know, will go through um, every uh, specific line item in the existing budget and come up with um, adjustments for uh, non-recurring items within those financials. Once um, the management team goes through all the expenses, including the one that had never been part of the financials, let's just use the example. And I'm sure you're going to have a question on that, you know, about their expenses. Uh, once the board goes through the financial and they decide that that uh, the unit owners that might not pay the assessment because they have not done in the past, so that's a that's a line item that most associations fail to include in the budget because obviously the more expenses you have, the higher the maintenance fee it will be. So once you go through all the expenses, then you get to work on your revenues. Most people do the opposite, but the budget should be approached bottom up. You work on the expenses, then you get to your revenues. And once you have your revenues, you're going to use your prior financials, your prior CPA report, and obviously the management input. Once you get to that, you are uh, in a position of uh, calculating the assessments. Some associations have that divided by percentage of ownership. Some other associations have it as a flat plate of the lots. It depends on the condo box. Oscar, do you want to chip in?
1: Yeah. um, So I I think just taking a step back, uh, you know, the question of preparing the budget, I I know that whenever we do our classes, one of the things that we always tell um, new board, newly elected board members or residents that are interested in, in understanding how this process works is preparing your budget starts on the first day of the new budget. Uh, and what does that mean for us uh, as management one of the things that we always encourage RPMs uh, our PMs Make am sure I, I get that right uh, is that you know contracts uh, invoices that information is always readily available and updated right uh, that we don't have to at the end of the year start you know seeking out contracts and and requesting them because that could slow down the process and it, and it could make it um, Far less uh, efficient. Uh, so, you know, from our end, you know, we we want to make sure that contracts are always updated, that the most recent invoices, you know, that are uncontested are, are readily available because that really gives you a snapshot of what your current expenses are, both from a routine, reoccurring perspective, uh, as well as from a trending analysis point of view. So, you know, looking at you know what your uh, general maintenance and repairs expenses have been for the last six months, right? So you may identify that there's expenses in there that uh, were one-offs, things that were not likely to happen again, uh, like the breakdown of, you know, equipment, etc. Or you may see that there's a reoccurring, you know, issue with your maintenance. So you've got ongoing roof leaks, which may say to you, hey, uh, in your budget this year, let's not continue to inflate this number. Let's treat the problem at the root cause. We need to really uh, look at you know uh, consider a, a special assessment to treat a certain element in the in the property um, so we're we're looking at it from a more personal right knowledge base of where the expenses are coming from and how they were generated uh and i think that that's something that oftentimes gets lost when you're putting a budget together because it's not just throwing the numbers in there saying this is how much we need to spend to run the organization it's you know how did we get to these numbers what caused these expenses to generate
0: I think there is an important number that some communities vote to uh, take out of, uh, of the budget. But I learned actually from Louis a phrase that I want to repeat, a reserve means, uh, if you don't have a reserve now, it means that you should have a special assessment at some point. So I want to get into the reserve now about a little bit, if we can discuss a little bit about the reserve in the association, the importance and how to calculate reserves.
2: So, uh, but at the same time that associations, um, I want to believe that they they do uh, a great uh, (coughs) homework when it comes to the operating budget. I see a significant uh, amount of association, a significant number of associations that they fail to do the same with the uh, reserve. And when I say with the reserve, I mean with the uh, capital items, (coughs) you know, however the definition, you know, uh, People want to uh, uh, believe uh, it's... Um, some people say it's capital items, some people refer to those as reserve expenses. Um, anyhow, the association should rely on a reserve study, and this used to be somehow expensive. They are not. There's a lot of uh, engineering companies in the market that offer these uh, reserve studies. Um, the reserve study is the, is the guide for the associations to start talking about reserves, it's going to give you a projection. It's going to give you the, the, the life of your um, capital items. You know when the study is done, and that's going to help the board to um, assist in the um, in the process of recommending having reserves or not. Um, most studies present the reserves in both ways straight line and the pooled funding. The straight line is pretty straightforward. Um, it's a mathematical formula, and you have the, the, the cost of the, of the item, and then you have uh, the life expectancy, and it's divided, and it provides the funding on an annual basis. The pool takes into account, and the engineers provide this in the study, um, the uh, projection of how the expenses might occur. And then they give you the study with all the components within, within you know, the, the association. And um, so the board ultimately is the one deciding if um, adding that 100% recommendation by the engineers or half of that or whatever percent the board decides that is uh, the most convenient for the association. Obviously, the board is the one that knows the demographics. You know, the board is the one that, you know, is taking uh, the position to present to the association what's um, in their perspective. What should be the funding of the reserves? Now, how large the reserve should be, it depends. You know, and I know that most people don't like that answer, but it depends. You know, is your approach a long term or is your approach you know a, a short term? Obviously, you know, the professionals in the industry we say if you don't have reserves, you're automatically voting for special assessments. And um, yeah, we, we, we see it, you know, Oscar and I, we go to meetings and we, we get the same questions, and we see associations asking why, and then we have, to, we have to take them back to private financials and say, well, you have been waiving reserves for the last five years, so you don't have any funds for these um, items, so obviously you're gonna have to need now a special assessment. Most uh, special assessments obviously are not welcome. You know, in my experience, every time I see a special assessment, it's either because the board failed to have proper reserves, or because they failed at having a reserve study to help them to project and you know take the needs and start budgeting for those with enough time, so that you had a better chance of avoiding the special assessment. Do you think,
1: Oscar? yeah so i I think that one of the most important roles the manager plays, particularly when it comes to the to the reserve lines um, is managing expectations so oftentimes I see that those items are manipulated to control per unit expenditure or per unit maintenance fees um, and that's a poor way of managing uh, you know i I think that when i when I say managing expectations is you know as, as a ma- from a management's perspective you need to have that candid conversation with your board and eventually with the community and say hey listen you know going back to what you said you know we waive reserves today we special assess tomorrow uh, because eventually the money has to come from somewhere and with time elements deteriorate it's a proven fact whether you live in a condominium or you live uh, in an HOA in a single family home with time you know, you have to paint, you have to redo your roofs, you have to do your roads, these, you know, and that's just a very basic example of, of the things that deteriorate with time. Some properties have more complex infrastructure, uh, you know, items such as elevators, or, you know, pump rooms, uh, uh, fire suppression systems, and all of these things with time, you know, they, they, re- they require resource, financial resource. And if you're not properly prepared, uh, for the long term, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to represent big numbers in the short term um, from each owner. And I, I think that when you have those, from experience, when you have those conversations at budget, you know, when you have that conversation at budget time and it's not a simple uh, or, a, you know, very quick, well, this is the budget and this is how we got the numbers and that's it. Uh, when you, as a manager or as a board, because it's a, it's, a, it's a dual rule, right? Uh, that's played, uh, when you take the time to educate the ownership and say, you know, hey, listen, this is why we're doing what we're doing. And here's an in-depth explanation so that you understand, you know, why it is that we're, you know, we, we want to either partially fund the reserves or why, hey, we're pushing to, to fully fund the reserves, uh, et cetera. When you have that detailed conversation with the ownership, you're more likely to get them to reason with you. Um I think it's also going back to managing expectations. I think it's unrealistic because what ends up happening with a lot of associations, and I think Lewis could attest to this, you know, they, they fail to properly fund reserves for so long that once that then once, you know, a board comes around and says, hey, let's do the right thing. Let's let's establish these, you know, these long term expense accounts so that we don't have to take those big hits to our pockets down the road. It's we're talking about repairing or replacing elements next year. So, funding a reserve from one year to another, or not from one year to another, in a five-year span for a roof replacement, we're talking about significant increases to maintenance. So, it's almost better at that point to say, let's just do a special assessment. So, I think there's a balance. I think that it requires a lot more detail than just saying, let's control the maintenance payment, or let's, you know, let's, you have to look at it with great detail. Uh, and I, I find that that's most often not the case in a lot of associations. What was what
2: mentioned is key, because... Um the board, in an attempt to, um, to keep the maintenance uh, the same as the prior year, they will manipulate um, information such as the um, recommendations of an engineer for funding of the research. And you know, in doing so, yes, they will keep the maintenance fee low, but they are uh, failing at um, saving for those elements that a professional came in, did the inspection, the testing and gave you a report saying these line items have a life expectancy of, let's just use three to one year, so you know that um, most likely you're going to have to replace those elements within one, two, and three years. So playing with the the funding of the reserves to keep the maintenance at a certain level, it's going to come back to you pretty soon, and then you're not going to have enough time to fund those needs, and what's going to happen is the the unwelcome phrase, special assessment, then you're going to have a a hard time explaining to to the membership why you need a special assessment, because someone might question your management staff, someone might say, why didn't we fund for that element for the last three or four years? We have seen it, we go to meetings and we, we get those questions some people even say i don't want to have reserves because then it's going to be um, spent i don't want to fund reserves because it's going to be you know uh, utilized uh, for something else and you know we as cpa we tell them if you have sufficient internet controls if you have your monthly financial reports if you get involved if you go to the meetings if you have a close relationship with your management company slash your management team and your accountant, that is not going to happen. We, we, we are involved in a lot of fraud cases, and 99% of the time, you know, it doesn't happen when the membership is really involved. You know, right. if, if you go to meetings, you participate, if you, you know, you request those, those monthly financial reports, if you read those, if you ask the questions, that most likely, that's not going to happen. So, it shouldn't be an excuse not to fund reserves because the membership is, um, is afraid that the funds will be used for a different purpose.
1: Yeah, I, I, could, I could tell you that one of the biggest mistakes, because I get asked that question a lot like, you know, what if we establish these reserves? You know, what, what, what controls could we put in place so that down the line they're not spent on other, on other expenses that are not related to the original intent of the reserve? And my answer always to the to board and to my my, my managers is, look number one, um, if you want to prevent inappropriate spending, you limit discretionary spending across the board. Oftentimes, I see discretionary spending taking place within budgets where items are not budgeted for. You know, you, the board saying, well, let's just let's buy a water cooler. Well, there's no water cooler. You know, where do we define that in the budget, right? So we want to create a culture. In the association where you're limiting discretionary spending where you're creating inclusion so we we talked about committees that's a big deal if you've got committees if you've got a third party outside of the board outside of the manager looking at spending looking at how these reserves are being funded right Uh, whether or not they're being funded whether if they're not being funded are we creating uh, you know deficit line items so that we could hold ourselves accountable to putting that money in there before the end of the fiscal calendar Right, those are all. It's all about creating a culture. Uh, to Lewis's point, it's, it's internal controls, but it's also creating a culture where it's not just one set of eyes looking at, you know, these reserves and these large sums of money, um, and then down the line, that without that culture, people thinking that that money is there to be spent on whatever they feel like it. Uh, I, I think that that's. I think that's 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 the best tool that any association could, could implement. That creating that culture.
0: Um, getting into a little bit more of the process of approving, approving the budget, can you tell us about how many days uh, does the board need to send out the notice of the budget meeting? What is usually what happens during the budget meeting? Are owners uh, encouraged to participate on that or is it only for the board?
1: So you know, notice requirements for meetings, I always tell clients uh, and, 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 and our managers, you always need to refer to the documents. Uh, there are different notice requirements for 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 meetings in different types of associations uh, as a general benchmark you can use a 14-day rule where a, a budget notice should be sent out to the ownership along with the proposed budget no less than 14 days but prior to using that rule always go back to the to the documents particularly the bylaws and see if there's any language in there that has uh, more stringent notice, and, notice requirements Aside from the budget meeting, I think that it's important that, you know, I, I spoke a little bit about spending time on the budget and really going into detail as to the information in there being accurate uh, to the expenses of the, and the incomes of the association. With that said, uh, I think that prior, a, success, a community that has a, success, a successful budget has not only had a budget meeting, but they've all, they've also had, Budget budget planning meetings or workshops prior to or leading up to the meeting. So once that meeting takes place, no one in the room, or very little people in the room, are surprised by any of the information that's being discussed.
2: And that's where you actually really get that feedback from the membership. You start talking about you know the um, expectations, and and you know the management team can explain you know that in the, in the subsequent year they want to they want to tackle certain things that they have been. Um, put to the side but now the decision is in a better financial position and they are ready to include that in the budget. Um, So (coughs) we go to those uh, meetings and people always ask the questions because you know they look at the CPA and they think that the CPA has all the answers and in, in actuality the answers are within the association, within the board members and the membership because they are the ones that are living in that association I can come to you and explain to you what I have seen in my last 19 years in the industry, and all the associations that I see from the Keys to Orlando, and no association is uh, similar to the next. So you know, I go to one meeting and I go to sometimes we have two meetings in the same day, and I sit with the financials and the budgets, and the conversation is 180 degrees. You know, it's totally different because you know, association A, it's really into savings and being conservative and approaching everything on time and taking care of, uh, you know, the capital items and the reserves and always with committees. And then you go to Association B and nobody wants to fund reserves. Nobody wants to go to the meetings. And it's a total disconnect between the membership and the management team. And that's when we see most of the issues, when we see that disconnect.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. So I, I know that one of the things that... Um, I'm going to just jump the gun here, but I, I saw, I'm looking at your, your notes, Joanna, and I, I know that one of the questions that you had for us was, what type of questions owners should ask at meetings? And I think that that is a phenomenal question. Don't
2: you love when they say, why is maintenance fee going up? Why? <laughs> so I, you know, that should be the first question in your comment. <laughs> and I always say, didn't your uh, FPNL went up? Didn't your commissioners go up? So, so magically, you, know, you cannot expect that the expenses of the association did, did not go up. Unless you have a signed contract, you know, and obviously you have to read the language and you have to see if there's um, any increases allowed within that document. Obviously, everything else uh, yeah. is an art. You have to estimate, you have to look at your prior financials, you have to look at your prior audit report, you have to, you know, see it, you have to discuss, you have to analyze, you have to project. You know, that's where your Excel worksheet tool comes into place, and once you do that, that's when you're really in a position to talk about the maintenance, you know. And, but if you do that, if you, go to those, if you do those meetings, if people come in and they participate, you're not going to have that lovely question of why is my maintenance going on.
1: And I think that the question, because piggybacking off of that, the question should, in my opinion, and, and when I say my opinion, I'm speaking from the perspective of once being on a board, as well as once being an owner within an association from, and, and also now obviously working in this industry as a manager. Um, the question should never be why. In my opinion, why is too ambiguous. You're not, you're not being specific. If you're asking someone on, in management or on a board, and you're, you know, why a particular line item is increasing year over year, the question should not be why. I feel that the question should be more, more so to, uh, to the point. Um, It should be presented differently. It should be what what drove your decision to increase this line item from X to Y? How did we get to that number? You know, what was the driving factor behind the increase and it doesn't have to be stated that way But what you want to get to in my opinion is the mindset, you know How was it that we determined that you know general maintenance and repair and I bring that up often because it's one of the lines that fluctuates year over year because there's a there's a lot of potential for discretionary spending in there but you want to ask you know how did we get to that number could you give me um, an outline of what expenses we took on this year and how is it that we're projecting to see that increase next year right those are the questions you want to ask respectfully because in the end of the day the people that are sitting on the board side or on the management side they're not presumably they're not just making you pay more because they feel like it they're, they're seeing that there's a need to increase the operational budget of the association to have operational continuity so that the community could function year over year uh, without any interruptions of service um, or any decline in maintenance.
2: To continue on the um, specific expense that Oscar was mentioning, uh, represent maintenance, I just want to add that within reasonable limits, um, associations should consider to have within uh, the repressant maintenance multiple accounts. We see associations with just one repressant maintenance account and then a significant variance and it's, it's really hard to explain what created the variance versus an association that has a repressant maintenance general account and then a present maintenance for supplies, a maintenance plumbing, a maintenance with um, specific line items that the management team see that are the ones that are um, always um occurring. There's not a magical number, they cannot say to you, you know, have five, ten, or eleven. But if the manager really knows the financials and the board is involved, they, they they see the invoices, they see what they're signing, they should have a solid idea of how many free present maintenance sub-accounts uh, to have within that. Uh, budget category, it's going to be easier to explain because then I can, I can see that that my projection was on point, let's just say for my supplies and my general account, but then I can see that in plumbing we went up, let's just say 150 percent. Well that's going to create a question, you know, back to what Oscar was mentioning at the beginning, uh, so if I see that every year I'm going up by 150 percent so then let's talk about what's happening with the plumbing should we then look at what's really creating these variances? Are we funding enough of the research? Because most likely then this is the sign of something major that is going to happen pretty soon.
1: All right. Now, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, expenses that, I mean, I'm not going to say that you could control within an operating budget, but they're, they're the most controllable. Uh, when you're talking about contracts, when you're talking about utilities. Uh, and you're talking about uh, maintenance items. For for the most part, there's a certain level of control. Uh, how about the items that 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 are expense items in a budget, but are often overlooked or manipulated uh, to to reach a desired amount, such are as are bad
2: debt? About, are you talking about contingency? Uh, well,
1: you know, I'm not even going to get into that because I think we could have a whole other conversation about contingency. This it's just a word that's so ambiguous. Like, if you haven't noticed, for me, discretionary spending is like the number one enemy of any budget, um, because it really you know, just it creates a space for people to just get so creative where they just utilize funds for the wrong reasons. But that set aside, bad debt. I think bad debt is one of the most overlooked items on on a budget, and it is the most impactful because it's it's a, a line item in Lewis. I know you'll get into a little bit more detail, but it's the line item that accounts for those that they didn't pay or are not expected to pay.
2: Not expected to pay, <clears throat> It's a projection, you know, like, like, you know, all the line items within the budget, or if you have a signed contract, you know, it's a projection. And, um, yes, uh, when, we, um, when we are invited prior to the approval of the budget, when there's time to still make adjustments and, and provide, uh, you know, uh, feedback, we, we always use the delinquency report and we always use the collection reports from the attorneys. And we can show to the management team that um, units X, Y, and C that have not been paying for the last couple of years—you know—we can show in actual numbers the uh, the cash flow that would not be present from those units. Let's just use an association with just ten units, like the ones in the Keys. Association with ten units—if three units have not been paying for the last two years—so now you have thirty percent you know, that you're not gonna be able to achieve. So that's a really that's a really significant impact in your cash flow. So neglecting to account for that in your budget by virtue of not having that but that expense line item is gonna put yourself in a position that you're not gonna have the cash flow to go with your expenses. And there's only two places, you know. You're you're gonna be paying your invoices with tomorrow's money the people that, you know, prepay, or you're going to be dipping into the operating capital of the association, you know, the savings from inception through that point, or what we see, you know, the the illegal use of reserve funds, when you don't have your cash flow to pay for your operating expenses, but you do have a reserve cash account, and then managers get, you know, those funds to pay for the invoices, or Mm -hmm. they don't do the required monthly transfer to the reserves, Per the approved budget. And that is created because of the negative cash flow or the lack of cash flow because you had a significant number of units not paying. And when we did the budget, we failed to include that because we wanted to continue paying the same maintenance fee that we paid in the prior year. All right. You see it, Oscar?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I look at, I describe, because bad debt, you know, for, for those that are not familiar with bookkeeping or accounting. It, it could it could come off as being a complex line item, but it really isn't. I actually describe it to my clients in the most simplest way, and uh, it's in its most simplest form. Bad that is best described as going out to dinner with three other friends and paying for that one person who didn't have money at the table. The amount that each person who paid pays it, it, it represents the amount that the person who couldn't pay. That's what bad debt is. Bad debt is that it's the accumulated uh, amount of the, of the person that didn't pay. Because in associations, I like that. <clears throat> right, it's, gonna, it's, it's, it's the best that, analogy I'm I can use that
2: example when I'm doing it next time. That's a bad <laughs> so debt. That's a bad debt, right? <laughs> it's the
1: best analogy I think that you could describe because essentially, you know, and this is where uh, going back to one of the first things that Lewis mentioned budgets in associations are the best way to, to put them together is from the ground up. So you have to first determine the operating costs of the of the of the association or the organization, and then you work your way backward into determining the income. Um, and when you look at it that way, it's very simple to understand what bad debt is. And once again, if you don't see it on your on your budget, uh, are there other descriptions that you've seen? I you typically see it as bad debt, maybe prior year loss. No, that that's something completely different, right?
2: That's um that's something different. That's uh, when the association has been. Incurring operating losses year it, after year, they generate a deficit, and right. then uh, now it's in a position that is even holding payments of invoices. Uh, so when they work on the budget, they uh, they realize that they have to uh, you know increase capital, and then they add a line item right. within the budget called you know priority deficit funding. Okay, uh, because you know they they um, uh, met with legal, and then they decided that instead of having a special assessment to replenish the operating fund. Uh, that they were going to do it through the budget. I always, you know, when I'm, when I'm asked that question, I always say, let's get legal counsel on the phone because there might be implications of doing option A or option B. And I can give you the uh, pros and the cons of, you know, either of those two. But uh, yes, that's obviously, that's a line item that is also going to increase your maintenance fee because we have added another expense to cover prior year deficits. All right.
0: Uh, we are close to finishing the second episode, but before we finish, I want to um, get this question like real quick. We know that the board is the one in charge of approving the budget, but what happens if the owners, the membership, disagree with the with the decision?
1: I think that's more. It's a political question, right? Because there,
2: there is a legal process, you know. Yeah. The um, and you know, I'm gonna say the same. You know, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to get with your legal counsel. You know the membership has the option of not accepting that budget and bringing their own version of the budget. And there's a fixed number of days to do that. There's a, there's an entire legal process to do that. And you know that's you know obviously you know like Roscoe I attorneys, um, the association should you know get legal counsel to see how that is done. But yes, the membership has the option the option of not. Uh, um, now, I don't want to say approving Oscar, because the board is the one approving the budget. Right, but the to, to, can
1: to have the board revisit. Disagree
2: with that budget yeah. and bring their own version. You know, we have gone to meetings together. I have been in this industry for the last 18, 19 years, I don't remember now. And I see a lot of disagreements in the meetings, but I have never seen an actual group of um, unit owners bring in an actual budget because it's really easy to disagree. It's really easy to stand up in a meeting and have your own opinion versus doing the actual budget work and being realistic. Because you can always come back with a budget of a lesser amount, but you know at what cost. So you're not going to have security anymore. You're not going to have uh, you know swimming pool. You're not going to have landscaping. So you know then it's going to come down to you know what's the impact in you know in the value of my my asset, my home, my property. So if you keep it realistic, you know, most likely there's not going to be any difference because the board did it. Obviously, nobody wants to pay maintenance in excess. If the board did it and they come to the meeting and they present the budget with X percent of increase, they already went through the expenses. They already went through the contracts. The management team already called the vendors. So the only thing different, and I have not seen a group of units doing that, would be to
1: reduce services. I've never, seen, I've never seen a group of owners present their own budget. I've seen committees challenge the board, uh, but that's because they've been part of the process since the inception of the project uh, or of the budget. And that um, should
2: be part of the healthy discussion. And that should be part, part, of part of the, the culture. You know, the right. committee is asking the questions, the committee is taking the position you know, because they already met with uh, certain unit owners and they have the, the feedback from the unit owners.
0: Uh, There is a key with all the information that we discussed today. And the key is that an informed homeowner will make the best possible budget reviewer. So be sure to understand the details of your association's budget. If a board and a property manager manager communicates well with residents and has provided a strong and transparent leadership, the annual budget review should be simple. or advice to all the people that is listening right now is that if you have questions about your budget, sit with your manager, sit with your board and ask the questions.
1: So final food for thought from, from a management perspective, uh, once again, I something that I always preach to my clients and my team, we live in the most interesting of times. Uh, we have information accessible to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, a lot of the times I find that owners are a little apprehensive about attending budget meetings because their professional background may not uh, afford them the, the technical knowledge to be able to participate in, in those conversations. Uh, but I think that that's where we begin to fail, particularly uh, as owners in, in associations. Uh, you know, always ask questions and even if you don't know the answer to the if you don't understand the answers that you're being given write them down you know use that that access to information to educate yourself because ultimately knowledge is power you know we see a lot of the times in communities that fail uh, or have have failed it's because knowledge is restricted or we see an ownership that's not being proactive in becoming more informed on how the community works how the budget Uh, is put together, et cetera. Uh, And, you know, for us, really these podcasts, as well as some of the other things that we do as outreach to the association community is part of educating that base because we we understand that there's a direct correlation between working with uh, an educated client who understands more uh, specifics on, on how we do business and why we do things a certain way. So the challenge or the final food for thought is go out there and you know, take the time of understanding because in, in some cases we're talking about, you know, million dollar budgets and, you know, not educating yourself or putting yourself in a position of knowledge uh, is really just allowing for a small group of people in some cases to have complete control uh, over, you know, that the spending in your community. So.
0: Um, and if you have more questions about the process, you can always contact us in our social media pages. Uh, we're in Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. And you can ask us about uh, the budget process and we will be happy to help you. And if you live in South Fro- Florida, we are going to have actually a budget class on September 19th. Uh, you can have the information on our social media pages at Renovations BM or in our web, website, uh, renovationsbn.com. Thank you again, Luis, for joining us. If you want to share your uh, contact details with us, please. Yes, um,
2: prior to say that, um, I want to okay. uh, emphasize on get to know your financials, read your financials. You know when the budget season is, which for most South Florida associations is within August through mid-October. You know the time, you know your management team, Get to see your financials, get to understand your financial position, ask the questions, then you will be ready to start talking about budget. Um, any questions, um, I can be emailed at l in Louise, A-V-A-N-D, at grgcpa.com. I'm going to repeat it, l-a-v-a-n-d, at grgcpa.com.
0: Great, Uh, thank you again to everyone that listened to our second episode. Um, Share this episode with your community and Informed community is a better managed community. Hear you soon.